Aren't you grateful to be an American? Yeah. If you come by our house, I've got like six flags flying. Everybody knows I love Flag Day. I love Fourth of July. I just, I just love America, and I love being a citizen of this country and the freedom that it has. Number one freedom. The freedom to assemble and to worship is your choice, and you've chosen to worship with us. Oh, open your Bibles to Matthew. Uh, to Matthew. That, that'd be nice, but that's not the one we're in. Open it to the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter. Will you do that with me? I'm back in the New Living Translation today, so you're saying, Pastor, you just keep us jumping. I do. I've got a lot of Bibles, and I like to keep it exciting. Starting in verse 1. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore in a very large crowd. Remember last week when we talked about the crowds everywhere, the multitudes, you'll see that over and over. They soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore, and he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. We'll begin to walk, or we will walk through this entire chapter today. And in this fourth chapter, there's all these themes. And there's the theme of sowing. He talks about a farmer sowing a seed. There's the theme of sh uh, shining, being a light. There's the theme of reaping. And there's that great theme in the end of the fourth chapter about trusting as he trusts Jesus on the storm of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And that could be so many things that we'll look at today in our life. But I think about it. Here it is, the afternoon. It begins to wear on, and Jesus is always finding himself in some place where people are gathered around him to listen, to hear a word of truth, to maybe have a touch of his healing power, to get a glimpse of this miracle worker of Galilee. But they begin to press in. And in this particular section of Scripture, we see that they press into the Sea of Galilee. An amazing place. I remember when I had an opportunity to go there, and yet you, you get on the boats and you go across this kind of small sea. And they get, and here Jesus gets in the boat and he begins to teach like he does so many times. And what's interesting, it says he sits in the boat. From, from studying this, you learn that the rabbi, and I told that Jesus was the great rabbi, Rabboni, he was the rabbi Jesus, if you will. We just don't call him rabbi Jesus. And he was teaching and he sat. And then the other people, while he sat, the people would stand. We should bring that back to the church. Pastors should sit and y'all should, you know, no, we wouldn't do that. You'd be like, man, I'm finding a new church. You know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes I wonder why I bring this chair out here because sometimes I sit, but not very much. It's kind of hard when you, you have the energy I do, but sometimes it's just good to sit. But they, they were standing in reverence of, of this teacher and this one that had truth from God because he was God. And there was this reverence, this holiness, this commitment to the word. And yet when Jesus began to speak, he spoke in parables. Now, we don't usually speak in parables today, but what I understand from study that so many teachings of Jesus over the years, I know at least a third of his teaching here is in some kind of parable. And the rabbis of that day, that, that day, they would teach in parable form so much of the time. And it was just interesting. It means the parable means to come alongside, to cast something along something else. It seems to have a hidden meaning many times but yet the holy spirit when he is in us he illuminates he is a revelator he reveals to us that which is hidden but to those that know christ those that walk with god those that have asked god to come near god reveals himself through the parable so many times he would teach in parables and i got a feeling these guys some of them weren't the sharpest knife in the drawer anybody know what i'm saying 
And they did not get it. And I bet sometimes they would sit there and they'd go, Oh, Jesus, astounding. So good, Master. And I bet they'd go off to the side. Huh? Jesus, what were you talking about? I have no clue. And maybe he gave them a little deeper explanation of what he was teaching. And there's so many books written on this. I remember in seminary we had to take a whole course on the parables of Jesus. Most boring class I... Oh, I didn't mean to say that out loud, but I did. Okay. It's not a very good class. Oh, you know, I had a Greek scholar. The man was absolutely brilliant. He'd walk in with this little Greek New Testament. And he would just begin to spout off. And I'd go, man, I'm going to learn so much. But he just didn't. He wouldn't have made it as a preacher. That's all I'll say anyway. But great man of God. Love God. But here, these parables, they're, they're, you teach people spiritual things by showing them physical elements. Today, we'd call those illustrations or, or windows into the teaching of jesus I, I love to use illustrations over the years i've used so many different ones on this stage some that have almost cost me my life in your life the day that i hit zelda in the head with a plastic golf ball that was one of my funniest things she's never been the same since and and then the day that i, I don't even remember what the teaching was but i thought i would ride a bicycle off this stage and the point was profound and we were in two services and i started off the stage and i had ridden a bike since i was a little boy and usually when i do an illustration i practice beforehand but for some reason i thought i will not practice mistake 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 i run off the stage i got a little bit forward on the bicycle when i did the bike lifted up this is all in slow motion because it happened ever so quickly and i thought i was going to come off and break my neck and i recovered and everybody went heard one little girl say he's a fool he's gonna lose it next the next service i thought i'll do it again i stayed way back on the seat you know what i'm saying what was scary was we were going on vacation right after that. Can you imagine me telling my wife, y'all go and enjoy the beach while I stay here in traction in this place. Okay, so here it is. These, these elements, these illustrations, the crowds around, Jesus is teaching, these little stories come. But there's a passage from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, and he says these words. So that seeing may seeing that may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand least they should turn and their sins be forgiven so many times the holy spirit will give revelation he will give insight he'll give an instruction but we somehow do not have ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of the kingdom so many times the the kingdom tends to be in parables or it tends to be in, in secrets so it's almost like can you get it but we can get it. He said, I like where Jesus said, let the children, what? Come to me. So many times the children get it better than we do. Anyway, I always love when we use object lessons. We used to do object lessons here in the early days of the church. And all the adults would go, wow, great truth. And the kids are just like, I got no clue what that meant. That was just bizarre. Okay, so let's keep going. So here these spiritual understanding, these, these parables, I'm just trying to belabor this point because it's important. They have windows into truth they're like a mirror that you you look into it and you you know where james says look into the mirror and we look into the mirror of god's word and god reveals himself to us that's why i beg you every weekend become a person of this book oh god i pray all the time god give our body a hunger god let them hunger truth god let them read the word for themselves holy spirit lead them in all manner of righteousness and I've been telling you, read ahead. Some of you have already read the fourth chapter. That's great. So you know where we're going next week? Fifth chapter, just thought I'd let you know. So here it is. 
the concealed truth of Jesus gets revealed in the parables. So it's important that we read the parables and we study the parables on our own and in church and in small group that we might have understanding. But these same truths that seem to awaken, sometimes they, send, they tend to blind the unbeliever. They don't understand. Always seeing but never perceiving. So Jesus wants to teach us here about these great things. So here, let's look to here. So here's this man. And he, he does what? He sows the seed in, in verse 3. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and he just scattered across his field. Some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. And other seed uh, fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. Let's stop there. Can anybody identify with the hot sun in Montgomery? Yes, if you've been outside, you can. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant so they produced no grain. Verse 8, still, no, still other seeds fell in the fertile soil and they sprouted and they grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples, with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. See, they're there, they asked, Jesus, what is this? He replied, you're permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will not turn to me and be forgiven, quoting Isaiah. And then Jesus said to them, if, it can't, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. And he continues to go on and talk to us about these four kinds of of soul, but I would say the four kinds of hearts that we have. You've probably heard messages on this before about the, 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 the different souls that God has in our hearts, the different hearts that we have for him or we don't have for Christ Jesus. But as I look at that, look here across the very top, HQS. You know what that stands for? High quality soul. And you know, that's like a if you like to garden, have you ever been over to Home Depot or Lowe's or one of the garden store? And have you ever gone in and got some of their best soil that can just really enrich the ground and it begins to grow those rich products? Anybody ever done that by me? Yeah. The rest of you, man, I, I bet your yards look really good, don't they? Yeah, okay. And, uh, and you just, you, you want to grow stuff. And here, he, he says in that one, a hundredfold, a thousand, it, it just blows it off the thing. But let's look at the first one, the number one, the hard heart. That's where he starts with the very first one. It's just that heart, if you will, that heart that is stubborn, that heart that is callous to the things of God. It just tends to push away the wayside, one translation said, it's just the footpath. You just walk on it. I, I learned years ago at universities, I've never understood this. You go to a university campus, especially when you're in freshman orientation, you're, you're awed by all the people and the place that you will live next year. And you, and you walk in on campus and they have all these sidewalks across campus. But if you ever notice, there's something else that happens at college campuses. There's all these little alternative passages. Anybody ever follow those alternative paths? They're called shortcuts. And I heard about this one university. They were absolutely brilliant. They put no sidewalks in. You're saying, that's a dumb-looking campus. And they waited to see what the path of the people would be, and then they came back and they put the sidewalks in. But when you walk and you trample the ground over and over, what does it become? Hard. 
no growth, no grass. I mean, it's just, it's just it's, it's terrible, and it, it doesn't work. And that's the way some people's hearts are. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, 3 and 4, it says, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only from the people who are perishing. But Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. It's amazing there. So the sower here, he sows the seed. And he sows the seed, and we sow the seed of the gospel because the gospel of Jesus Christ has the potential for life, abundant, eternal, joyful. That's what God came to give us. Matter of fact, he makes such an impression God does on Peter that Peter later has a book that is attributed to him. It's called 1 Peter, and it says these words, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, the word of God which lives and abides forever. As I was studying this this week, I realized I had never, I'd read that many times, but I realized that was a direct link. Peter was going back to the parables, and he knew the power of the seed. And this incorruptible seed and the corruptible seed, it's just a beautiful teaching of Jesus. But let's look at the second soul, or a second heart, the shallow heart. Some people have a shallow heart. It's, uh, it's rocky. It's uh, unfaithful. Not a lot there. It's not the kind of person that you, you want to be known as, man. You just have a shallow heart. There, there's no depth to you. It's like there's a little layer of topsoil, but underneath that, it, it, it's not enough to really cultivate and bring forth a, a, a great fruit it doesn't grow very deep it's just it's really weak it's like the people that have an emotional response to jesus but that's all it is it's never founded in a relationship it's never founded really in the word of the lord jesus christ and when hard times come they do what they fall away as a youth pastor that i did for a couple of decades, Don and I did that, almost two decades. We, were, we had the joy of working with teenagers, and we'd see so many come to faith, and so many mature and be discipled in the faith. But we saw some that would run, they would take the 100-yard sprint to Jesus at a camp or something. And they would quickly fade away. And it was merely in a tearful, broken, emotional response but there didn't seem to be depth in that that God wants to so produce. They easily tend to stumble, and so it, it doesn't go well for them. In, in this thing, in this shallow, it talks about rocky and uh, the rocks, and I thought about Israel. I remember walking that land, and I never sometimes it, it's really funny. I, I, I took so many pictures on my phone, and, uh, and I don't guess I had great video quality then because i don't think i have videos but did donna was to like turn those videos off but i got home and i remember showing all these pictures and i i saw some amazing scenes just like walking through the bible the, i've never read the bible since since i've been there but the rocks just intrigued me and i remember i was taking a picture of rocks and when i got home i was showing the pictures to the kids i said look where dad is being look where dad's walking i remember one of them said dad it's just a bunch of rocks can i go now I, I need to do something important. And, and, and so I was thinking about that this week, about how foolish it really seemed, all these rocks. But when you see these teachings of Jesus, the rock was the most common element. And man, it meant everything. That's, maybe that's why I teach with rocks out here all the time. I, I like rocks, and maybe it's because of my love for Israel. But the emotional here, you know what the emotional person does, the, the person that seems to be shallow? 
they get excited quickly. But there's no depth, there's no commitment to doctrine, there's no commitment to the Word, and they just blow and toss to and fro by the wind. And they miss out on what God has for them. But then, and, and, and so then I look at this third one, the crowded heart. Now you're saying, so it's going to kind of build here. And maybe you have that one. The crowded heart is the, the thorny heart, the distracted heart. And it's so easy in our world today with all the distractions that abound. And it was easy even in their day to get distracted from the teachings of Jesus that they, they seem to get the truth of God, but it just doesn't penetrate very deep. It just, it, it just other things come, other things tend to be the, we use the word right here a lot, priority is not very high. Other priorities crowd out Jesus. It's one of my deep concerns for our culture is that culture is getting away from the church so many times. My good friend's here today, Lenny Howard, Dr. Howard, counselor, pastor, just retired a couple weeks ago. And we've talked about how culture is changing the landscape of the church. And here's what I pray, church, that our church can help go against that and we can help define a community with a commitment to God's word. And the church said, amen, I want you to love that. Not just to hear it spoken here or in your small group, but in your own home and in your own personal time with Jesus, that it penetrates, that it, it breaks down. See, these people that have crowded hearts, they don't tend to want to break away from the world. They tend to wait, maybe want some of Jesus. Oh, but I like some of that world too. There tends to be this ongoing battle. And sometimes, I've always told you, the one that you feed wins. If you feed the Spirit, the Spirit wins. If you feed the flesh, you go that way. So that's what I pray our church. God, help us to be a people that love the people of this world. We love our friends that are backslidden and far from Christ. And we want to see them drawn in closer. We run toward them. Look at the fourth one. The fruitful heart. The fertile heart. The good heart. The tender heart. The humble heart. That's the one is the high-quality soil. That's the heart that God just seems to break in and work. The ground of the heart is all broken up. There seems to be a high receptivity that you receive the Word of God with eagerness. That's how I knew I was saved over 40 years ago. There was an insatiable desire for God's Word. I wanted His Word. I wanted to know His Word. I wanted to obey His Word. I wanted to learn His Word. And, and pretty quick on, I wanted to teach His Word. Is that for you today, friend? Do you say, man, oh, man I love God's Word. Somebody, sometimes people say, oh, man, I'm saved, I'm saved. I don't like God's Word, though. Huh. Well, man, that, that's, that doesn't seem compatible as I read Scripture, I think God wants you to be lovers and doers of the Word. And the church said, that soul, man, God, the fruitful heart, we're open to that, we're open to change. And in that one, 30, 60, 100-fold, a massive crop. It, it yields, you know, 10,000%. It's unbelievable. It's just that, that, that heart is prepared for greater works, that you might do greater things than Jesus. Oh, God, give us those kind of hearts this morning, that, Lord, we run after you, that we're open-hearted, we're not hard-hearted, we're not closed-minded, but we're open to the things that you have. We're open to the saturation of the Word, this Word would frame us, that the Word would convict us, that the Word would change us, that the Word would guide us, that the Word would lead us.
in the ways of Christ. God, give us hearts for you, Lord. If, if we leave our hearts uncultivated, if we leave our hearts to get hard, then we become barren. I, I don't know, man. I, I, love, I love fertile soil. I love the fertile heart where somebody becomes like Christ. They become more like him. I love the garden. I love the yards. I, you know, I love when the rain comes and everything turns green overnight. How many of you just love that look? You know what I'm talking about? Everything just... Man, color. And I go, God, you're... And the other day, did y'all see the clouds? God was showing out his glory the other day. It was 8.20-something at night when I was leaving here the other night. And I looked out, and it was dark, getting dark. And there was this one little section as I looked up in the horizon. And it's like God says, I am God, and I can let my light shine when I want to. And he had this one little section lit up. And I just stood there and went, you are good. And then I noticed over the next few days, apparently the clouds everywhere were all magnificent because everybody was posting on Instagram and Facebook and talking to their mama. Man, did you see the clouds, you know? They were just awesome. They were gorgeous. I, I love when God shows that to us. But let's move here. So there's that heart that God wants. But move down here quickly. I can speak on this section all day, but uh, we're, we're trying to walk through Mark. I'm trying to intrigue you. I'm trying to inspire you. I'm trying to get you to get into God's Word and get His heart. Look down there at verse 21, the parable of the lamp. Let's look. And then Jesus asked him, would anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that's hidden will eventually be brought into the open. And every secret will be brought to the light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it. Oh, look, at, oh, I love that Drew got his light up. He started doing this to me, man. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it. Y'all heard that song before, have you? We should have brought the kids in here today, shouldn't we? Man, letting our light shine. You don't go in a house and go, you know what? Your house is kind of weird. I notice all the lamps are on the ground, and they're all covered up. What's that about? Hey, let's look right here. That was a, a lamp in that day that would, like, you know, carry the oil, and it would light up. It didn't give off a lot of light, but it did illuminate. And I wanted you to see what it looked like, and, and, and as you paid attention to it there. And yet, it, it's kind of interesting, but I want you to see this next one. I, I, I got into it. I got ahead of myself. See? There's that whole basket thing. Hide it under a bushel. Hide it under a basket. That's just dumb. But Jesus was trying to talk about your gospel witness, your transformed life, your love, adoration for the Savior needs to be front and center and lifted up as it points people to Him. It's, it's, it doesn't need to be... Uh, in, in the Greek, there's the word kryptos. And it, it means to be... Uh, it means to cryptic. The word... Uh, you know, when something, we have a cryptic file, what does it mean? It's, it's hidden. It's, it's concealed, and it, you know, and you have to unfold that. Well, here, Jesus wants our light to go forth. I, I've got a scripture here, Psalm 43.3. I think it's going to come up. Oh, there it is. Oh, man, man, that's cool looking. Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. God, make this church. Make us individually people of the light that reveal the light 
in the forgiveness and the grace of Christ that we pay close attention to that which you give to us. Lord, give us ears to hear. Help us to hear and absorb that spoken to you. I know some of you are like, I sure am glad you've got comfortable seats in here because we have to absorb a lot when we come here and hear you. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm just so passionate about God's Word, and I want you to know it, and, and I want you to receive it, and I want you, but more than that, I want you to just hear it. I want you to absorb it. Like, when your body absorbs nutrients, what happens? You get healthy. You function. Life is the way it was intended to live. Spiritually, when you absorb God's Word, when you absorb truth into your heart, when you absorb truth into your mind, it transforms, it renews your mind. That's what it means to be a Christian, and the church said. That's a Christ follower. Being transformed by the light of Christ. Lord, we want to... But people, here's what I hear all the time. I don't hear it a lot, but I hear it some, and this is what people want. A pastor, can I just tell you, I just want you to spoon-feed me every day, and that'll be enough. <laughs> hey, if I come over to your house and go, we're not going to eat anymore, but once a day, Pastor Keith's going to come by, and I'm going to spoon-feed spoon feed you a couple of bites, and that'll be your nutrients for the day. How many would love to see me coming? You got a big old steak on the table. You got some ribs this 4th of July. And man, that barbecue sauce. And it's got a little burnt crisp. Oh man, I'm ready to go eat right now. And, and, and you're sitting there looking at it. And you're going, now you can only have a little bit because you can't absorb much. You go, man, you're a fool. You want it all. Oh, well, we want God's word more than we want ribs this 4th of July. Somebody's like, well, I want some ribs. Oh, I pray you want Jesus. Pray you want God's word more than you want anything. God, help me to get after it. Lord, he, he talks about giving us instructions and listening. He tells us to test the spirits. He, he tells us to hear in such a way that we hear the word of God, that we hear the full counsel. You see, here's what scares me sometimes. A lot of times you can, you can pick and choose and pull some truths out of this book and they would be biblical in that sense, but they would be out of context, and you can make it almost fit your theology what you want. But when you read the entire counsel and hear the entire counsel of God, it's amazing the conviction factor that goes up and how you get shaped and how you become more like Jesus Christ. So this lampstand here, that one I showed you earlier, it was made from clay. It had the olive oil and the nozzle and the flax wick would rest in it, and it would be lit, and it would be light for the little home and it would be sufficient because the light would dispel the darkness just like our candlelight does here every year when this room is completely dark and we begin to light those candles one after another and the darkness goes away it's my favorite service of the year i love candlelight think about abraham lincoln brilliant mind president of the united states and what happened he used to study by candlelight i can tell you this i'm glad i did not live during that time Pastor Keith started wearing glasses at the age of 30. And next year, I'm going to be just a little older. And uh, you know, I'll tell you this. I remember when I first started wearing glasses. As soon as I walked into a building, I wore them for distance. I would put my glasses on the table or on my desk, and I would work all day. And I would pick them back up that I might drive it safely. Okay? And, I, and then I remember in here one time. I came in here, and I started looking at these screens, and these screens started getting smaller. I couldn't see the words, and I couldn't see this. And I thought, man, you're going blind. You need to wear your... And I had to start wearing my glasses all the time. And here's what I've learned. At night, when I'm studying, 
My eyes are tired, and I've got overhead lights, and I've got a lamp, and I shine all the light that I can get on here. Can you imagine me studying by candlelight? Not me. I'm grateful for the light. How many of you are grateful for the light? You're grateful for the light in this room, but I pray you're grateful for the light of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, reveal to us. Show us what you have. Help us to, to move on with you. But let's move verse 26, parable of the growing seed. We're going to move there. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. He's always talking about these seeds and, and, and being fertile and different things. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, and then the heads of the wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Here it is. Just spiritual darkness here. But then we move into this growth zones. And here's what I learned in study and preparation for this. I think it's interesting. Scientists have never been able to produce a synthetic seed. And this is because the simplest seed is entirely too complex for mankind to reproduce. Most seeds are, listen, are pieces of dead organic matter. And yet, even when seed wheat seeds are sealed inside even egyptian tombs that are four thousand years old yet they say when they are planted that it might die it might live they bring forth life and when god plants in us that we die that he might live we come to life in him the the the, the believer we're sowers we sow the seeds if you will the truth the word the gospel we sow it to others that god it's god's work it's never been our work now, I don't understand why, but God allows us to cooperate with him, and that's pretty cool. But it's God's work. Uh, and in the 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul would say, I have planted, Apollos is watered, but God gave the increase. God always redeems. God is the one always that saves. He's always the one that transforms. And the seed's growth seems to be independent, but it needs the attention of God Almighty. It needs the water, and it needs our prayers. And I, I just want to say this real quickly. Our prayers are effective, and they're fervent, and they're powerful if we're righteous in Jesus Christ. How many believe that this morning? On this Friday morning, you're going to have a holiday on Wednesday, most of you, and you're going to eat too much, and you're going to have fun, and, we're going to have a, and you're going to celebrate. I hope you do. And then there'll be Thursday. But on Friday, on Friday, would you please consider possibly, I want to not just be a church that gives money and prays about and does this. I want to be a doing church. And I went just about a, six weeks ago, and we're going back. And this Friday, Drew and Caitlin will lead some worship. And then we're just going to pray across the street from the abortion center. It's, man, it's, it's front line, if you will, taking off on the title kind of ministry but guys this thing makes a difference we just believe that our our worship that our prayers can help shape can help rescue the unborn how many believe that our prayers make a difference church they really do so i invite you to join me over there and we'll be through in about 25 minutes unless drew gets carried away with worship and and no i'm kidding it's going to be amazing and we're going to pray and worship and we're just going to enter into a world that's pretty dark But just recently, I saw the picture of my friend, and I still remember when her mom came to see me as a teenager or a young college student, and she was pregnant out of wedlock, and she started talking about abortion, and I shared the truth of Jesus with her one more time because she knew I would. 
and she chose life. And I saw this beautiful young woman that's got this high-profile job across America today. And every time I see her, I see the power of the word of the living Christ, that her mom chose life for this beautiful young girl. And that's why your pastor is so passionate about pro-life, and that's why we give to life. Uh, how did I just get first choice? I'm on the board, too. I, I lost the name of it. Okay, used to be Save a Life. They've changed the name. First choice, Bethany, our executive director. Anyway, let's, let's keep going here. So we, we sow seeds here. The task is to sow this great work. God, we want you to keep watering. God, we want you to do an amazing work. We want to listen to the truth of your word. God, we want you to transform us. Okay, so you're beginning to see this, the parable of the growing seed. It grows. There's a harvest. There's something about when we share the word, God begins the mental process. He begins drawing, wooing, pursuing us. And the salvation is a process, and he begins to do his work. And somehow it's God in his timing, in his way. But he uses us through our simple witness. And sometimes you take people to Christian concerts. Sometimes you give them books. Sometimes you bring them to church. There's so many things that we do for a witness. There's lots of good ways to witness. There's not one certain way to witness. But when we do it together as a church, I think we're more effective. This uh, film that we're going to show, I can only imagine. I remember when we performed that song right here the first time. It had been out like two weeks, and we did the song here. It was amazing. And every funeral I did for 10 years, we did I Can Only Imagine. So I'm going to just go ahead and be real honest with you right now. Your pastor got to where I did not want to hear that song one more time. I'd heard it so much. I went, God, it's a great song, but God, it's an old song. We're going to sing a new song to the Lord. And then this movie came out. And I fell back in love with the power of that song and the story. And, you know, it was the number one Christian film of the year. So it's going to be right here. And let me tell you why I'm telling you all that. This film is an opportunity for not for you to invite your friends to come hear me. You're like, well, we ain't going to invite them. To come and to watch a film in this air-conditioned room and have popcorn and hang out, and they might see the gospel or they might be intrigued to come back. How many would consider bringing people with, with you to that film on that Sunday afternoon? Raise your hands high if you're willing to do that. Y'all can go home now. The rest of you have to stay. You have a, Okay. No, I'm kidding. Wouldn't that be great like you? All right, so we're, we're going to do that. We, we think it's an effective witness for Christ. And, okay, all right, move, move there with me. We're down there. Oh, i got to get there quickly. Uh, move down there in 35. Can you go to 35 with me? This is a great section. And as we look at this, he talks about the mustard seed. How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story can I use to illustrate? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground, the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds. It can make the nest in the shade. So in other words, this, this uh, mustard seed is the smallest seed definitely known to Israel at that time, and yet it could produce this big bush, this big tree, and it was just amazing. And as I was studying about this, it's amazing these, these seeds are so small. I used to have some, which I, I don't have them now. Listen to this. It takes 750 of them to make up a single gram. And they're 28 grams in an ounce. There's 21,000 mustard seeds in an ounce. It's a tiny seed, if you will, but it produces a large plant. You are a mustard seed. You are like a mustard seed before you come to Christ. It's little bitty, minuscule, microscopic, nothing. 
And God can take that and water that through the Holy Spirit and through His Word and through discipleship and through a heart for maturity and for a heart for growth. And God can grow you up to be a man of woman of phenomenal faith. Is that what you want, church? Our boys and girls, you're not. Boys and girls, we want you to stay little bitty forever. Not me. Oh, I love it. It's, there's a season for that. It's fun. But I want them to grow up and reach their full potential, just like I want you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And you begin to move on, and you begin to see what he has. But these, these little things, I wrote it here in there. It's interesting. The growth of the kingdom. Uh, oh, I didn't even fill that blank in. Can we about do that? Did you already put it behind me? Well, let me fill it in. I'm sorry. I, I got too excited. Look at the parable of the growing seed. Let's fill it in. The growth of the kingdom is a mysterious partnership. We sow the seed of the gospel, and God causes it to grow. I'm so glad I thought of that because at the door, y'all would have been asking me, hey, can you fill in that blank, Pastor? You did not give me that blank. And I'm like, man, I'm done. Okay, here we go. The parable of the mustard seed. Look at David. Look at Gideon. David was the youngest son in a family of eight boys. Obscure, insignificant unknown people did not notice him but did god take little david and raise him up to be a great champion did he not oh god thank you for david and then gideon the smallest tribe in the nation of israel and yet god uses him he is a valiant warrior for god and you think about your life and mine Little bitty small person, and yet God can raise it up to be big for his purpose. And Zechariah, look at this passage. For who hath despised the day of small things? Sometimes somebody might say, Well, Keith, you, you pastor a small church, but I'm like, Hey, well, small church, big church, whatever. Let's just be a biblical church. Amen? Let's just be a Christ exalting church. Let's just be a church that lifts the name of Jesus. This morning, let me tell you what. When that worship team led today, they could have gone all morning today, and I would have just been in glory with them. It was powerful. So here we go. We, we keep going. All right, let's move down here. I've got to get there. I'm going to land this plane. My time's almost over. Some of you said, I've done absorbed about as much as I can. Well, hold on with me. This might be the truth you came for. I don't know why I tried to take on so much material, but that's okay. My goal is to inspire you that you might begin to dig for yourself. Look at verse 35. Jesus calms the storm. Uh, it's, it's one of these passages that preachers love to preach on. I remember preaching on this in seminary, but here, here's the bottom line. Sea of Galilee, 620 feet below sea level. Warm thermals come off the lake, a downdraft. They produced opportunity in the climate for an unbelievable activity on the Sea of Galilee that 20-foot waves can swell up. It's amazing what can happen. If you've ever been on water, even on Lake Martin, I've never seen a 20-foot wave on Lake Martin, but I've seen some waves I was crying for my mama. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I, was, I was out there one time, and I remember it got so rough, I just like, deliver me Jesus. You know, I mean, we, we got to get out of here. But look what Jesus does here. I want you to see that. Flip over to about verse 38. The disciples woke him up. Jesus asleep on the cushion. Can you imagine? Oh, I wish I could have been on that boat. Not really. But here's what I want to do. Can you imagine when they're going, you wake him. No, you wake him. No. And can you imagine them going, excuse me rabbi you need to wake up <laughs> you're enjoying this way too much we're about to drown and look what the scripture says teacher don't you care how many times don't raise your hand how many times have you asked god that same question god don't you care 
don't you care if I drown? And yet Jesus spoke silence. He spoke, spoke be still. And the sea stopped metaphorically or physically. It was amazing out of what came out of this. And you begin to tackle the problems of God because he's the master of the storm. He's the master of the calm. He is the Lord. But here's what I want you to see. i got to get here. Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care? My child's sick. God, we're going down. Glenn, have you prayed that? God, my little girl's sick, God. She needs you. Oh, man, Glenn and his family is drawn to the heart of Jesus. Here it is. Lord, my marriage is falling apart. I'm drowning. Can't you help us? Lord, all my friends have deserted me. I need a friend. Lord, I don't have any money. I have no money. I have little money. I have no margin. Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care if I give up? I can't find the reason or the strength to go on. Lord, I want to give up. Lord, my spouse died. Don't you care? Lord, I lost my job. Don't you care? Emphatically, yes. He cares. See, when things are going good, you never go, God, don't you care? Because things are good. But he cares as much as when things are good, as much as when things are tough. And the church said, matter of fact, we ought to break into even if. Isn't that the name of the song, even if? Mercy me, the one I love. Anyway, maybe we sing it next week. I don't know. But right there, he cares. You know how I know God cares? The cross. The cross. The cross says it all. God cares. And let me tell you, I just listed out some really tough things, and some of you are right there in the middle of them right now, or you've been there, or you're being delivered. And as we pray for Jack and Debbie, Jack knows, oh man, God, don't you care if we drown? Yes, I do, Jack. Yes, I do, Debbie. I hear your cries. Keep them coming. I'm working. I'm working depth in your heart. I'm working on your testimony. I'm shaping your character. I'm God of the storm. And I can speak, and I've got power. How many of you believe God's got all the power this morning? Amen. And God can heal. He's here. So he rebukes the wind immediately, and it calms, and it grows quiet. Because he's a sovereign, ruling king over his planet, over his kids. So every morning, you ought to come out with me one morning. I beat the pavement, and I'll just be walking, I'll be singing, I'll be talking, I'll be praying. Every once in a while I get on my phone, and uh, I'll be doing, but man, I'm just doing it, man, I'm just talking to the Lord, and I know, and sometimes I go, Lord, and I said this just really, Lord, don't you care? I do. Man, when things are good, I don't ever say, Lord, don't you care, because I know he cares. I, I, I think what I just said, that last part, might be the whole reason some of you came this morning. Because you just need to be reminded about the great truths of God and the promises of God and that God can see you through, that he's Lord of all. Every storm, every trial is an opportunity to wonder just like the disciples did with Jesus in that boat. And yet, look what they came to. His majesty, his authority was over the sea in the storm. And this morning, I don't care where you're at, Jesus is greater than your storm. And the church said, amen. Deanna, God is bigger than the physical health storms you've been going through.
And I could just start calling y'all's names out, but I'm not going to do it. Somebody here saying, good, I'm glad you ain't going to call my name. But this is a word for you, as it's a word for me. No shortcuts. If you'll come to the piano there, Caitlin. There's no shortcuts along the path of spiritual growth in Jesus Christ. If there was, I think I would have found it, or I think I would have found it from somebody, and I would tell you, but it's not there. I'm always looking for a shortcut. How about you? I, I remember when I first got a Mac, and I, I came off PC to Mac World. I know Drew still loved me, okay? And, and somebody says, oh, you have some shortcuts. And I remember somebody showed me a bunch of shortcuts one day. I went, oh, man, that's good, that's good. He said, every time I get a new computer, I, I, I decide to memorize and learn every shortcut. I thought, man, that, that's pretty smart. The storms of life are not a detour. There's something that God wants to carry us through. They're not a mistake. They're not a trap. The storms of life are not sent to destroy you, but to make you, to mold you, to conform you. Who told them to get into the boat to go out on the sea in the first place? Jesus. Who was with them in the boat? Jesus. Who was with them in the storm? Jesus. Who did they wake up? The master. But who spoke to the storm and calmed it? Man, that's a great God. He's worthy of some worship today, isn't he, church? Man, worship him this 4th of July. Worship him that you're an American. But worship him above that, that you're a Christian. And if you're not, talk to me. Grab somebody around here. There are a lot of Christians around here. They'd love to share with you about what God's doing in their life, that he might do it in yours. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to make discoveries about your power, your grace, that you're greater than every storm. Help us to make discoveries about the promises of Scripture that they ring true in our hearts today. And Lord, you will not, you will not back away from any promise that you have made in your book. You are faithful and true, and we love you. I pray that this day you would call upon the name of Jesus in your storm, and in your good time. But I pray that you would reach out to him and take grasp of his hand and let him hold you. For he is a safe place. He is a shelter in the storm. But he's the God of the tabernacle. He's the God of the temple that we sang about. He's the God to be praised. He's the God to be worshipped. And as old Chris Tomlin sings in that song that I hear on K-Love all the time, going home. Oh, I look forward to going home to heaven to be with my Jesus, to be with my family that's preceded me. Be ready. And that's the conclusion of Mark 4 today. Read ahead and get insight in Jesus' name. Amen.